Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. We'll get there in a second. <laughs> so, um, welcome to week 7 um, of a series that has us walking through the miracles of Jesus. A series we are calling Miracles. What we know is that in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, there are around 40 recorded miracles of Jesus where Jesus displays his authority so that people would come to know that he was and is God. Or the, the point is, as we just sang, um, how great thou art or he is amazing God. And so Jesus is displaying these miracles to show and prove who he is. And one of the things that I believe has become obvious um, throughout this study is that every miracle of Christ and even every miracle in the Bible started with a problem. So think about this. Every miracle started with a problem, which is good news. If you're here this morning going through difficulties, that's good news today. Um, if we don't have problems, then according to the Word of God, miracles might not be available to us. Um, the, the issues, I guess, you know, we all long for miracles. We just don't like to be placed in a situation where we need one. And we don't like to admit that sometimes the way that God responds and the miracle that God brings is not what we had in mind. And it's not what we were thinking. But just think about this. None of us want to be overcome by sickness. None of us want to see demonic in action. And none of us, as we're going to see this morning from, Luke, or excuse me, from Mark 4, none of us would ever want to find ourselves um, out in the ocean in a small boat during the storm of the century. We just wouldn't want that. I think of this, I read this this week, an oceanic organization estimates that there are 3 million sunken boats in the oceans around the world. So 3 million sunken boats around in the oceans around the world. Some, like the Titanic, of course, are famous. Others, and most, are just a footnote in history. And of course, while modern technology has made ocean travel Safer, that has not always been the case. So imagine yourself in a terrible storm, and the vessel that you're in is 30 feet long, it's 8 feet wide, it's 3 feet um, high, which sounds like a nice sized boat until you compare that with the size of the ocean, and then compare that with the storm of all storms. All of a sudden, we don't like our chances as much. All of a sudden, that little, that little boat becomes even smaller. And this morning, as we open the word together, um, here's what I know. Most of us aren't at risk of being caught in a sinking boat that's taking on water. But there is a 100% chance that every single one of us in this room will have to endure stormy times. We'll have to endure storms in our lives. Times where we, like the disciples, might even question the care of God or the concern of God. Where we are put our, our, we're put in a place where we say, God, are you there? God, do you care? I love the words of Pastor Tim Keller who says this, If you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering, you also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons that you can't understand. So if God's powerful enough for us to be mad at him, then he's also great enough and powerful enough for us not to understand all of his ways. And we have to understand that. And now, now nothing, let me just say this, nothing that we're about to read is a metaphor. 
So sometimes we try to use these and, and take it in a metaphorical way. What we're about to read, it was a real storm. The disciples thought that they really were about to die. And, and Jesus really made it all go away. So that's what we're about to, to jump into this morning. And we come today to what has to be one of the most underrated miracles of Jesus in his entire ministry. And I say underrated not because the story not only because the story reveals the power of Christ over nature, showing himself once again to be God, as all these miracles are pointing to, but because this story in particular reveals a, an essential um, part of our revelation with Jesus that most people choose to overlook, or many choose to say this is just an archaic thing. But this truth that we're going to see this morning is this, Jesus must be feared. Let me say it again. He must be feared. And I know that sounds strange because our mental picture of Jesus is one of meekness and soft-spokenness. In our minds, Jesus is playing ring around the rosy with children. He's petting lambs. Every time he turns, um, the wind catches his nicely brand new permed hair and takes it in the wind. That's our mindset um, when it comes to Jesus. We think of him only in tenderness, which without a doubt, he is tender in how he relates to us. That is no doubt about it. Yet, we must also see the other side of, of him. A side that is just important in us considering our relationship to him. And that other side is he is powerful and he is not to be messed with. He's not to be messed with. In fact, without the fear of Jesus, his tenderness um, is not as comforting as it should be. And many people today, as I just said, assume that the fear of God is an archaic thing. Many people would even say, I've heard people, when we've talked about the fear of God, they say, um, I don't fear God. I don't believe you should fear God. And I say, well, I don't believe you know the God of the Bible. <laughs> you must not know this God. I mean, just think about it. Th think about it in, in this way. Anytime you are in the presence of greatness, you sense fear. How many of you have ever met somebody that was a hero or somebody that was a celebrity? How many of you ever met? So three of us. Okay. Okay. The rest of you are joining in. Okay. Think about this. We meet these people who are heroes to us, celebrities to us, and guess what happens when we get in their presence? It doesn't matter how many times we rehearse what we're going to say, we get into their presence and we become stupid. We, we say things that are just out there and don't make any sense whatsoever, or we don't say anything at all. I mean, just imagine in your mind a, a child in the front of or in, in the presence of a Disney princess or Mickey Mouse and uh, all the things that they had always wanted to say in complete silence. And in that moment, you're thinking, I spent a whole lot of money to get here. Something magical better happen um, in this moment. But the presence of, of greatness has a strange effect on us. It gives us this, this weird sense of, of terror. So think about this. If being in the presence of human greatness makes us feel that way, what must it be like to be in the presence of infinite greatness? Let me just say this. It says a lot about the God that we believe. If we have more responses to physical things and to um, human greatness than we do to his greatness. 
Have you ever thought about just how powerful he is? Let me just give you an example here. And this kind of goes along with what um, Rhett just saying. Astronomer, astronomers say that on a, the clearest night, 9,096 stars are visible to the human eye. So only 9,096 stars are visible to our human eye on the clearest night. And that's out of 3,000 billion trillion stars. In case you want to do the math, that is a three with 24 zeros behind it, just in case um, you were ever wondering. And not only did Jesus breathe all of those stars out, he has called every one of them by name. Every one of the 3,000 billion trillion stars, Jesus looks at each one and says, Bob, Mark, or one three five seven nine or whatever whatever the name might be, he knows them. And then think about us. We don't even always get our kids' names right um, all the time. Or other in our family, we call them by different names. Or like with me, we're going to a family reunion, and I'm asking mom, "What's what's their child's name again?" And what's this child? I mean, we can't get those things right. And he knows and calls all the 3,000 billion trillion stars by their name. Is that greatness or what? So how, how do you think we're supposed to respond in his presence? And I would say this, probably better than we do. Probably better than we do. So let's, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Mark chapter 4 together, verses 35 through 41, and see this miracle that... Again, we're very familiar with, but I pray today that we're going to go a little bit deeper than maybe what we're um, used to. So beginning at verse 35, when you get there, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and, the, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Let's pray together. Father, that is the question of all questions. Who are you? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to us? Today we pray as we walk into your word that Holy Spirit you would attend us in our journey that you would reveal truth to us in ways that only you can that you would illuminate God to us just your your word your ways your power Father I pray Lord for anyone today who is in the midst of a metaphorical storm God in the midst of a storm in their their own lives that today you would just show them your power over it all and help us, Lord, to trust your presence, trust your power, trust your plan, whatever that might be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be 
seated. So just think about what we just read. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, hey guys, let's go over there. Let's take a trip across the sea. So these experienced fishermen did what they had done every day before meeting Jesus. They jump into a boat and they begin to row. Jesus, of course, was not a part of the rowing team, so instead he decided to do something else. He said, I'm going to take a nap, a much-needed nap. So he goes and takes a nap, and suddenly, as was often the case in this sea, um, a storm rolled in, but not just an ordinary storm. This was so threatening that even seasoned fishermen were scared to death, and they thought they were about to die. And while they were panicking, Jesus was still sleeping. Think about this. They're panicking. It's, it's one thing for the boat to be in the water. It's another thing for the water to be in the boat. The water is in the boat, and Jesus is still asleep. When they couldn't take it any longer, they woke him up, and they accused him of, of not caring for them. You don't even care what's happening to us, Jesus. And Jesus patiently endured their criticism and then he immediately rebuked the storm, and there was nothing but calm. Here's a little nugget for us. The, the phrase, peace be still, in the Greek is what's called a verb of continuing action. So what it means is this. It means be quiet and stay quiet. I mean, think about this. This is like Jesus talking to a little child saying, you better close your mouth, and you better keep your mouth zipped. Or in another sense, Jesus put this storm in time out. He put it in timeout. He said, you are in timeout and you can do nothing about it. And that is what we see. And then Jesus rebuked the disciples saying, why are you so fearful? Why do you have no faith? So the question for us this morning becomes this. When the, storm, when the storms come in our lives, where do we place our trust? Do, do we only trust what our eyes see? Do we only trust what our skin feels? Do we only trust what our fear tells us? Or do we trust what we know to be true of him? And what his word declares to be true. So therefore, what I want us to do is I want us to spend the next few moments unpacking three truths related to what we must learn, what we must know. Um, concerning relating to the storms that we know we must go through and look at the one who is able to calm the storms so the first truth today is this and please hear this and i'm, I'm going to say this correctly jesus will often lead us into storms hear that jesus will often lead us into storms so we we know that Storms can come into our lives when we rebel against God. You know, think of, of Jonah. You know, we might call these storms um, storms of discipline, when God disciplines us because of our disobedience. And it's important, I think, when we, whenever we walk through storms, the first question we need to ask is this, did I bring this upon myself? I think that's a good question to begin with. Did I bring this upon myself? Because a lot of times, God gets blamed for things that we have brought upon ourselves. Let me say it again. God gets blamed for things that we have brought upon ourselves. I'll never forget I saw a bumper sticker, and I, one of my favorite bumper, bumper stickers ever. It says, um, everything happens for a reason. We hear that all the time. And then it goes on. 
mostly because we're stupid and make bad, bad decisions. And so that's, that's it. Th- things happen for a reason, mainly because we make bad decisions and we try to blame God for those decisions that we make. There are storms of discipline, but there are also storms of transformation where God will allow us to go through those storms in order to transform us, to see something in him that we have never seen before, to trust him in a much deeper and greater way. So Jesus puts the disciples um, in the boat saying, let's go across. A storm comes, water begins to get in the boat, and you're thinking this is pretty bad. This must have been some kind of a storm. Again, these experienced Fishermen. This is what they did for a living. They've been in a lot of storms. At least four of the original disciples were fishermen. Um, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They had probably experienced storms on the Sea of Galilee um, quite a number of times. And think about this sea. This sea, the Sea of Galilee, was really just a shallow lake. So it's not a sea, it's really a, a lake, but it, it's known for its violent storms. It's, the sea um, is 700 feet below sea level. Um, the mountain range that circles it um, re- rises um, up to 9,280 feet above sea level, which means this mixture of cold air and warm air um, come together, and you have storm after storm after storm and pretty amazing storms. But the question becomes, think about this. Who told the disciples to get into the boat? Jesus told them to get into the boat. Okay, here's the next question. Did Jesus know a storm was coming? Of course he knew a storm was coming. And he told them to get into the boat anyway. And then here's another question. Did Jesus warn them in advance that a storm was coming? So you might think, well, why? And I would say this, because none of us get warnings that storms are coming. He wouldn't warn them because none of us get warnings that storms are coming in our lives. Yet, hear this, and even write this down, sometimes it takes a storm for God to get us where he wants us to be. Sometimes it takes a storm for God to get us where he wants us to be. Or for God to get us to go where he wants us to go. Here's a good question. Do you think the disciples had more faith before the storm or after the storm? I mean, here's the picture. They had more. So what, what might have been the purpose of the storm? If they had more faith before than after, we would go, well, I don't know what the purpose is. But the fact of they, they having more faith after the storm than before. Let me just remind you of another Bible story that shows this principle that God will use storms to get us where he wants us to be. In Acts 27 and 28, the Apostle Paul is headed to Rome. He's on the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, a storm sweeps in. The ship that he is on capsizes. And Paul grabs a piece of wood and hangs on and is eventually swept to shore. You can imagine him being cold and wet, those with them being cold and wet. So the first thing they do is build a fire. Paul pitches in. He's um, getting firewood. When he reaches down to get firewood, he comes up um, from the firewood, and there is a poisonous snake attached to his arm. I mean, just pause for just a second. Let me just say this. We all have bad days, but have you ever had a shipwreck and get bit by a poisonous snake kind of day? I'm just, I'm just saying, maybe, just, just maybe, just think about this, this picture. And everyone on the island immediately says, this guy's cursed. 
I mean, not only is he shipwrecked, he's got bit by poison. He's got the curse of God all over him. Yet the more they watched Paul, the more they realized he wasn't dying. And his arm wasn't swelling up. Nothing was happening to him. And this gained him an invitation. The chief official on the island, his father, um, was sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul prayed for him and brought... um, through the power of God, healing into his life, and something happens. Revival begins to break across on this island, and people begin to turn to Jesus. And here's the point. Here's the point for us this morning. This island was not on Paul's itinerary. This island, Paul had no idea where this island was or, or had no plans to be there. That He was there because there was a storm and a shipwreck, And because, hear this, God had an appointment for Paul. He was there because God had an appointment. Sometimes it takes a shipwreck and a storm for God to get us where he would have us to go. And here's what I know about us. Most of us would would rather choose not to go through the storms, right? Yet there is something more important than God keeping us from the storm. And that is God teaching us his faithfulness in the storm. There are no shortcuts. Hear this. There are no shortcuts along the path of spiritual maturity. There are no shortcuts. The storms of life are not a detour. They are not a mistake. The storms that we go through are not a trap. God will take us through the storms so that He will bring us to the end of ourselves so that we will cry out to him so that he can then take us through the storm. So Jesus will often lead us not away from the storm. He will often lead us into the storms. Secondly, the second truth is this. Jesus has authority over the storm. So Jesus has authority over the storm. So look with me here in verse 38. And even though this might not necessarily... um, Highlight authority, but just listen to this. He was in the stern, asleep, on a cushion. So meanwhile, while a storm's going on, Jesus is tired from a tough day of ministry. He finds a cushion, and in the midst of the storm with the boat just going crazy, he is snoozing away. And, and here's what we know. What we know is that his sleep was intentional. It says he found a cushion. He was sleeping on a cushion, which means... He intended to sleep. If you ever show up for a trip carrying a pillow, it means you intend to take a nap. If you walk into church today with a neck pillow on, I know what your intentions are. I mean, I'm just just saying. I know what's about to happen. I know know what's what's going on here. And so the point is, the, the question becomes, why is Jesus sleeping if he knows a storm is coming? Surely the one who controls the, the weather, he knows the weather, he knows it's coming, yet he planned to sleep through it. He knows it's coming, and yet his plan was, I'm going to sleep first. Why in the world would that be his thought? And the only thing I could come up with, and the only thing that I can hold to, is that because he, know, he knew he was about to show off his glory when he woke up. He knew he was about to show off his glory. So the disciples wake him up with this accusation, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus gets up, and instead of rebuking them, he's about to rebuke them, but he rebukes the sea first. Peace, be still. But 
Think about those words. Don't you care? Don't you care? Think about the questions that we ask. Lord, don't you care about my sickness? Lord, don't you care that my marriage is falling apart? Don't you care that my friends have deserted me? Don't you care, God, that I'm struggling financially? Don't you care, God, that I feel all alone? Don't you care, God, that I want to give up? God, don't you care? God, don't you, do you care, God? And I think we have all asked this question a million times in a million different ways. God, do you care? Yeah, let me just say this. It's, it's kind of funny that we never seem to ask that question when everything is going well for us. When we're getting what we want, we never go, do you care, God? Do you care? No, when things are going our way, we never question God. But let me just say this. God's compassion is not measured by our circumstances and his kindness is not limited by our understanding meaning this God's mercy is not limited to the sunlight God's mercy also appears in the storms God's power is not limited to the sunlight his power also appears in the storms it's an amazing thing Jesus speaks to the elements Personally, he rebukes the wind and the sea. Now, rebuke is what you do um, to an inferior. So the picture here is Jesus as a military commander speaking to an inferior, and they, they don't have options. The only options that the sea has in that moment is to do what he says. Why? Because this is the ruler of nature. This is the Lord of creation. This is Jesus, I don't know what else to say, but this, this is your Lord, this is his power, and this is his glory, all on display for us to see. The disciples, chances are they knew the Psalms. They knew the Psalms, and in that moment, they knew who it was that calmed the seas. Psalm 65, 7 identifies God as the one who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves. In Psalm 89, 9, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 93, 4, as we read this morning, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mightier. Psalm 107, 29 claims of Yahweh, he made the storms to be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Jesus quieting the storms is showing without a doubt again that he is God. But let me just remind us this morning, during a storm, Jesus will do one of two things. He'll demonstrate his power by delivering you or me from the storm. Or he'll show off his power by holding us through the storm. He'll do one of two things. Either deliver us from the storm or he'll hold us through the storms. Sometimes Jesus will look at the storm and say, peace, be still, and quiet it. Other times Jesus will look at us and say, peace, be still, and quiet us. He'll quiet us. This is his authority. He has authority over all storms and over our lives. This is his authority because he is God. So Jesus will often lead us into storms. Jesus has all authority over storms. And then the last truth is this. Jesus is to be feared above the storms. 
He's to be feared above the storm. So Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? Why little, so much, um, or, or so little faith? And it says they were filled with great fear. So when the disciples were in the storm, get this, they were certain they were about to die. And fear overwhelmed them. But after Jesus rescued them, after Jesus calmed the storm, it tells us they felt even greater fear. In other words, get this, the rescue scared them more than the storm. The rescue scared them more than the storm. So seeing Jesus' power over the storm was more terrifying than thinking they were going to die in the storm. Just think about this question they ask. Who is this that even the wind and the waves or seas obey him? Let me just tell you about fear. You know that fear by its very nature, hear this, is just an interpretation of life. Fear is an interpretation of life. Fear is not always an evil thing. I believe I have a healthy, maybe sometimes unhealthy fear of snakes, especially, no, never mind, all of them. But, um, but I don't think it's a, necessarily a bad thing. I don't think that God, there's, there's sometimes that God has put fear in us to keep us from doing things that we shouldn't do. I'm just, just saying, there's a, a good kind of fear. But fear is an interpretation. Here's a good equation. Here's what we do. We look at the problem, then we look at our abilities and inabilities. Then we add to that who we think God is and what we think God's about to do. Based on that, the result is either we hope in God and we have courage or we fear. So let me take you through that again, just, just so you understand. We, here's the problem. We look at our abilities and our inabilities. Then we think about who God is. And we immediately think, well, then what's God about to do? Based on those thoughts, we either have great hope and courage or we have fear. But here's what normally happens. When fear rushes in, faith rushes out. When fear rushes into our lives, faith rushes out. And so what we read about the disciples is interesting. It's a double dose of fear. It's a play on word here because Jesus stills the storm. He looks at the disciples and said, why are you guys so fearful? Why are you guys so fearful? And that, that word for fearful there is really the word dread. Why are you dreading? Meaning that when you're in these moments, you don't just fear the moment, you dread the moment. You dread what's about to happen. You dread what you don't know is about to come. So there was dread here. We don't know what is about to happen. We dread what we can't control. Yet after the storm is calm, we're told this, that they were filled with great fear. And this is a different word. This is the word phobia. It's a life-shaking um, um, fear or, or alarm or, or awe. And there's an amazing principle here that we need to grab a hold of. It is only fear that has the power to defeat fear. It is only fear that has the power to defeat fear, meaning this, only the fear of God will allow us to defeat the fear of this world. Only the fear of God will allow us, or a different sense, a deep, glorious, Christ-given, grace-driven fear of God will free us from all of the fears that often greet us, excuse me, in this world. Do you know what's more fearful than the storm of a lifetime? The one who has authority over that storm. 
I mean, do you know what's more powerful than the most powerful storm? The one who rules over the storms? And fear of God is a really good thing for us. It's a good thing for us. Be careful when you read books, and, and sometimes this is what we do. Instead of reading this book, we read other books to get our information. And here's what we feel and see in other books that we read. People have this casual relationship with God, and they approach God casually and his buddy, buddy. Here's the problem with that. We don't read that in Scripture. In fact, think about it like this. When Job went through what he went through, at the end, Job says, I've seen you with my eyes, and I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. When Isaiah saw Jesus on his throne, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. When Jesus earlier was in the boat with, with Peter and bought, brought the catch of fish, Peter responded to these massive fish by saying to Jesus, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. When the Apostle Paul meets the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, he fell face down in the dirt and was left blinded. One of my favorite examples, Revelation chapter 1. When the Apostle John saw Jesus for the first time after Jesus ascended back into heaven, so let's say um, almost 60 years. Keep in mind, remember what we learned on Easter? John and Jesus were BFFs, remember that? John um, wrote... Um, I'm the one that Jesus loved most. You know, John wanted to tell us that all throughout his Gospels. Jesus loved me just a little more. So how would this one that Jesus loved just a little more, how would him and Jesus respond to each other um, when he saw him again? Would they high-five? Would they do their secret handshake? Um, would they hug? L listen to what John writes in Revelation 1.17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Huh. It's not really buddy, buddy. That's not really a secret handshake kind of deal. Here's what the disciples were experiencing in this moment. God was there and his power was terrifying to them. They were in the presence of God. And here's what I know. The worry that comes into our lives, the storms of fear that come into our hearts, they come because we forget the power of God and because we doubt the presence of God. We doubt his commitment to us. Think about this. Jesus was in the boat with them. Therefore, their fate would be his fate. Ever think about that? Their faith would be his fate. Would that, would that boat really sink with the Son of God inside of it? I mean, here's the point. If you are currently going through a storm, know this. If Jesus is in the boat with you and he has a purpose for you to get to the other side, you're getting to the other side. This is the point for us. He will not let the boat go down if he has business for you on the other side. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. And please hear this. Sometimes the ship goes down. Sometimes our loved ones die. Sometimes illness lingers. Sometimes the job is lost. Sometimes the doors close. Sometimes the pain doesn't go away. So how can I say, well, if Jesus is in your boat, it's not going down, and in the same breath say sometimes it doesn't work out the way we want it to work out? And the answer is easy. Jesus isn't in the boat with us to accomplish our will. He's in the boat with us to accomplish his will. 
It's about his will. Brothers and sisters, it's not about our will. And his will will be accomplished. His will is going to be accomplished. We trust him. Trust his presence. Trust his will. Trust who you know he is from his word. Let me end this way. I'm going to close with a story that most of us in this room are familiar with. In 1873, an attorney by the name of Horatio Spafford, excuse me, from Chicago, was planning to join his friend uh, D.L. Moody for an evangelistic crusade in England. Spafford sent his wife and his four, four daughters on before him because he had some um, business affairs to take care of. The story goes that the ship that his wife and four daughters were on went down in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. The ship sank. His four daughters died and his wife survived. Upon arriving... In England, she sent a telegram to him saying, Saved alone. He boarded a ship with a heavy heart and went to her. As they were sailing, the captain came to him and said, This is the spot. We're nearing the spot where the ship went down. In that moment, he sat down and penned these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And let me just remind you, in that moment, Horatio Spafford excuse me, wasn't sitting down to write a song. He wasn't sitting down to write a song. He was sitting down to write a declaration. This was his declaration. God, it is well with my soul. Now, in that moment, let's be honest, it wasn't well in his life. It wasn't well with his heart. It wasn't well in his mind. But it was because of his faith in Christ, it was well with his soul. In fact, here's what we're about to do. We're about to end our time together today by singing this song. Singing this song together. It is well. And here's what I would say to you before we pray. Don't just sing these words. Don't just let this be a song that we sing. Declare these words. Now, I'm not talking about a name it and claim it type deal. I'm talking about this is true of the child of God. It might not be well with my mind. It might not be well with my body. It might not be well with our bank account. It might not be well with relationships. But because Jesus is my Savior, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. So if you can go ahead and stand. We're going to call Rhett and the musicians up in this moment. So, Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you for this, these truths, God, about the storms in our lives. That Jesus, sometimes you will take us into the storms. But Jesus, you have authority over the storms. And we are or should be left to fear you more than we fear the storm. For who is it that can command the winds and the waves to obey? It is God. And you are him. Father, I pray, God, I don't know what's going on in every heart and mind and soul in this room, but you do. And Lord, as we are ending this time together, God, help us like never before, not just to sing a song, Lord, but to declare a truth. Because we have faith in you, because we trust in you, because your presence is with us, we can say, we can declare it, whatever that might be, whatever that it is, it is well with my 
And as we sing that, as we declare that, God, or do that, cause your peace to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.